We're going to continue to think through the idea of how we show our Saviour to the world through the theme of fruitfulness on the front line. And today we're thinking about making good work. Making good work. I don't know how you feel about your work, whatever it is you do, but I hope that you're here with the sense of wanting to make good that work. Not everybody appreciates going to work, not everybody appreciates labour. Bible tells us in all labour there is profit, but not everybody appreciates it. Ronald Reagan said it is true that hard work never killed anybody, but I figure why take the chance? And there are some people like that. Groucho Marx made the comment, personally says, I have nothing against work, particularly when performed quietly and unobtrusively by someone else. Which stands in complete contradiction to Mark Twain, who said, I do not like work even when someone else does it. But perhaps the most famous quote of all, if you didn't recognize the picture, J. Caron. Carone, Jerome, who wrote, of course, the comic travelogue, Three Men in a Boat, said, I like work, it fascinates me, I can sit and look at it for hours. Now, I don't know how you view your work, but we're here this morning to make good work. Do you see what you do, whatever it is you do, and we'll come to that in a minute, as just a horrid means to an end, or actually a happy end in and of itself? Is what you do something that you simply have got to do, or is it something that you want to do, and you like to do, and you choose to do? Is it something that we endure... Or would it be something that we enjoy? Is it simply an obligation that we have to society as a whole that we don't simply sit back and let everybody else do what we need to do? Or are we here because we recognize the opportunity we've got in what we do to show our Savior and to reflect his life and his heart in the way that we are. To put it perhaps in the most simple form that I could think of anyway, when you think about making good work, is it a daily grind or is it a divine activity? Now, of course, the clue is a little bit in the title, isn't it? Making good work. Now, of course, there's no comma in what Mark Green puts up here as our headline, making good work. There's no comma. I've put the comma in there, which would change the meaning. Just to do something good for the gain that we get out of it, for the salary that we're paid, for the important nameplate that we've got on our desk. You know, there's no comma here, is it? It's very simply making good work. It is doing something good for God, literally for goodness sake. Making good work. It's amazing, isn't it, how a comma can make that much difference. Sometimes commas can save lives. Look at those two sentences. (laughs) Just one comma. (laughs) And it makes 
all the difference in the world. But let's get back to making good work. And I'm going to underline it just with the couple of verses right at the heart of what John read to us. We've already made note of them, but let's just kind of put some theological legs onto these practical truths and see if we can take it out of here this morning and live it. So Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Can you say that with me? The Lord, right? When it comes again, put it in, say it out. Not for people, since you know you will receive an inheritance from, as a reward. It's Christ you're serving. Now, I've emphasized that, as you can see, and asked you to take part in, because three times in those two verses alone, the Lord is at the heart of what Paul is wanting to get across to us because he wants to underline that in what we do, what we do has spiritual life. It has practical significance. It may not matter to you, but what you do matters to God. And if you take nothing else out of this service, hopefully in what John has shared, what the young people have encouraged us with, in the testimony of Linda, I hope that you can begin to take that truth out at least that the more than what we can and do do is the attitude in which we do it. That God can turn what at times is simply the mundane and the monotonous into that which is meaningful and marvelous as we understand the fact that we are where we are for what God wants us to do and achieve there for him. Amen? Puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? Let's go a little bit further and notice from these verses what I'm going to call the gift of what we do. We're going to move through these very quickly, but I hope that they will help you to understand that what you do does matter. And if you think it doesn't matter, at least you know that it matters to God. Because Paul says, let's underline it, whatever you do. Now that's a big word isn't it? It's not just some of what you do. It's not a little of what you do. It's not even a lot of what you do. Actually, says Paul, it is whatever, whatever you do. And on the front line that you and I have, the places that we go, the people that we are around, the situations that we find ourselves with, on all of our front lines there are some things that we all do. We don't just go to these places and meet with these people to do absolutely nothing, do we? Even if it's just a chin wag, it is something. And what we do counts. Paul tells us that that much here. This is not just a message, you see, this morning, in case you were wondering, for those that get paid for what they do. This is a message for everyone who does anything at all. And the fact that you could get out to church this morning means that you can do something. (laughs) And what you do, says Paul, matters because it is a gift to you from the God who himself is a worker. And when we work, we reflect the very heart of the God who works himself. Isn't that a marvelous thing? I think it is. Some people think work is a punishment that mankind got because they messed up. (laughs) That it's the product of human sin 
and failure at the fall. But we're told in the Bible in Genesis 2.15 that even before man messed up, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So work, even before sin entered the scene, was a privilege that man was asked to do to reflect the very heart of the God who made him. That's why we need to do it. God was working then, and then he rested from his work. Do you know what that means? It means that God dignifies work. But that we ourselves can help to express the image in whom we are made in whatever we do, whenever we do it, in recognizing that we reverence God through it and we do it for him. Now, of course, what sin does is add the pressure and the pain and the problems to what we do. It'd be lovely to be Adam before he sinned, wouldn't it? You know? Oh, this is great. You know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing completely every day, every moment. But of course, sin came onto the scene. As a consequence, we're told that God cursed the ground because of sin. And he told Adam that through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. Now that didn't make work any less a gift. God made us to be productive like him. But it did put the pressure on when it came to the gift that God had given to him. Now folks, what you do is God's gift to you. Whatever you do is an opportunity for you to reflect the heart of the one who made you and then because of sin eventually in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ came to save you. It is God's gift and we are here to try and express it. I was thinking about that this week and uh, you know when God created the world he made it good. That's the word that comes through when you read the account of Genesis again and again and again the word is good. Good, good. And yet even in that good state Adam was to be productive and cultivate and develop it so that he could still bring the best out of it. It's great, isn't it that you see? Hey, I think it's great. I mean, you know, I, I'm almost frightened to use this illustration, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> you see, my wife over here, bless her heart, you know, in the way that she is, her makeup, her hair, her clothing, everything about her is so perfect. You know, she's there. She couldn't be more perfect to me. But first thing in the morning, first thing in the morning... <laughs> As she gets out of bed. No, 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 listen. She, she, is, she is good. She, she is good. You know what I'm talking about? But she still gets up and she cultivates and she develops and she gets productive. And then she becomes as best as she can be. There was a work involved. There was a work involved. No sin, just pure work. But it still needed to be done. Now, we're laughing, but the point... Do you understand the point I'm making? God made everything good, but Adam still had to work the ground to bring the best out of it. That was before he sinned. So although it's more difficult for us in perhaps what we find ourselves doing at times, understand that we're there to be as creative as God wants us to be because he's a creator, to be as productive as God wants us to be because he produces, to be a worker because we've got a God who works and we want to reflect 
him in the gift that he's given to us. The second thing I want us to notice here is not just the gift of what we have, but the goal to what we do. Again, it's very simple because Paul goes on to say in what we read, we do what we do, whatever it is we do, as working for the Lord. So yes, it's work that we do, but the attitude and approach that we take to the work that we do, whatever it is we do, whether it's listening to somebody's complaint, which can be terrible hard work, whether it's plowing a field, whether it's sowing a stitch, whether it's planting a tree, whether it's washing the dishes, whatever it is, we're doing it as work unto the Lord. To quote Martin Luther, the great reformer, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. I love that. I've never milked a cow in my life, but I can imagine somebody there sitting on the stool, can't you? Singing in Christ alone. <laughs> to, God's, to God's glory. It's because you've, you know famously, don't you, that Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, had the sign up in her kitchen over the sink. Worship services take place here three times a day. Whatever we do, wherever it is we do it, Paul says the goal to what we do it for is as working for the Lord. That's the goal. The cleaner who washes and sweeps and dusts is doing the will of God just as much as the pastor who preaches and prays. Not because they're singing a Christian song as they clean, but because God simply loves clean houses. It's a lovely thing for us to do. The shoemaker who works for the Lord does it right too, not by putting little crosses on the shoes that they make or the sign of the fish so that people know it was made by a Christian shoemaker. No, simply serving the Lord as he makes good shoes, the best shoes that he possibly can make because God is honoured and God is uplifted by the craftsmanship that we show. If we do it with the attitude that we're doing it for him. Isn't that right? That's why Eric Little, as you know, you know, when he was chastised by his legalistic sister for not wanting to go to the mission field but to take part in the 1924 Paris Olympics, had to tell her that God made him fast. And when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. Ah, there are different things that ring all of our bells, aren't there? Some of us get excited, not me. Some of you get excited when you look at a financial statement. Some of us get thoroughly depressed, but some of you don't, do you? Some of you are absolutely thrilled when you walk through a city and you look at the architecture. There's different things that ring our bells. But whatever we do, whenever we do it, the goal of what we do, the reason that we do it, is because what we do is for the Lord. It's as working for the Lord. In all labor, we're told, there is profit. And you may be saying, well, that's so easy for you to say, Sean, because you work in a church where everybody is lovely and everybody is nice and everybody is so appreciative of everything that is done. 
Yeah, well, you ought to open your eyes sometimes. No, that's absolutely <laughs> true. <laughs> and you say, you, you don't know what my work situation is, Sean. You don't know the pressure that I'm under, the, the mess that I'm in. Listen, I don't. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm happy to hear. I'm happy to pray. You know, I, I, would, I would love... Here's a big thing for you. If you ever want to invite me to come to where you work and show me where you work and take me round where you work and introduce me to some of the people that you work with, do you know what? I'd love to do that. I think that's part of what a pastor ought to do. But I mention it because I know some of you live in tough lives, but remember who Paul wrote this to. He was writing it to people in a church where many of them were slaves. They didn't have a say in anything. Now that's pretty tough. But even to these slaves, even to those who had no choice whatsoever about what they were doing, the command is still the same. Whatever you do, you do it in the attitude as though you're serving Jesus, not your slave master. You do it as though the Lord Jesus is going to enjoy the meal that you've just cooked. You do it as though the Lord Jesus is going to be delighted with the new robe that you've just sewn. It it is that kind of attitude And if you get the time when you get home, just read through the story of Daniel again. Some people read the story of Daniel, they forget that he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a prophet in one sense. Not in his day. He was a civil servant. Taken out of his homeland, into captivity, and plonked under a training uh, regime in Babylon that wanted to do all kinds of things that he couldn't feel in his own heart that he could do, but what he could do, he honoured God with. And as a consequence of it, yes, he got thrown into the lion's den. When he came out of the lion's den, because God had given the lion's lockjaw, Nebuchadnezzar realised that whoever the God was that Daniel served and was living faithfully and honourable to on his front line was a God that the whole people ought to serve. Such was the testimony of a man who did what he did even where he was in captivity, somewhere he didn't want to be, doing something he didn't want to do, something he didn't ever plan to be a part of, but he did it nonetheless as serving the Lord, and the Lord brought great things out of it. So if you think this morning that, you know, you're a slave to where you go to and what you do and everybody takes you for granted and nobody really appreciates you. Well, you know, I'm not excusing that attitude. But I'm just saying is, you know, whatever your situation, your attitude should be Christ-like. Because what you do in making good work is still to model godly character. And that's the way to be fruitful on the front line. The third thing here, the graft at what we do, the graft at what we do. Because Paul puts it this way, doesn't he? I like the way that he puts it. When he talks about whatever we do, we serve the Lord in doing it. And how do we do it? We work at it. Whatever it is we do, wherever it is we do it, we work at it with all your heart. Now, I would suggest to you that whole life discipleship, which is what this whole series is about, demands wholehearted devotion. I don't think that you can be a whole life disciple if you try and serve the Lord half-heartedly. I think the one thing I know from the Bible is this, that God doesn't like anything that's done mediocre or lukewarm. We either give it everything we've got, or we're not giving it what God deserves. And we serve a God who gave it all for us, 
held nothing back, left nothing behind. And that's why we can stand in the privileged position of knowing that we're sons and daughters of the living God who can reflect his life and his heart and his truth and his ways through us so that we can be fruitful. Do it with all, all your heart. (laughs) I read about a man who was applying for a job and the manager who interviewed him said, I'm sorry I can't hire you, there's just not enough work to keep you busy. And the man said to the manager, he said, don't worry, he said, you'd be surprised how little it takes. Now, when I think about working flat out for the Lord, and I think of, gra- I think of hard graft. Don't you? When I was at school, we used to get told off in the, in the... Can you imagine me getting told off? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that encouragement. Yes! <laughs> I can preach a whole sermon, there's no amen, but can you imagine me being told off? Yes! It's great. When I was told off by my gym teacher, Jock Campbell at Testwood School, he would always say, right, drop down and give me 20. You know, push-ups. I can still do 20, but I'm not going to prove it today because I couldn't finish the end of the message. But when he told us to drop down and give him 20, very few of us who were ever asked to do that ever gave him 20. We gave him the first two while he was watching, but when he looked away, you know, you know it's one, two, eleven, twelve, nineteen, twenty. You know, we did the least that we possibly could get away with. And I suggest, you know, when Paul says we've got to work at it with all our heart, I think there's got to be something of hard graft involved in that, don't you? You know? Work can be hard, but it's worth it because it matters to the Lord. I think there's something about honest graft that is spoken in that truth. Work at it with all your heart. I, I, don't, think, I don't think it's uh, revering, revering God or modeling godly character if we take a sickie when we're not sick. I don't, I don't think that honors God. I, I don't think that's honest. Do you? I don't think on the football field what they call a professional foul is something that we ought to laud. I was laughing this week because, you know, well, some of you won't know, but Gary Neville now manages Valencia. And he was complaining about an opposing player who had committed a professional foul and stopped one of his players going on to score a goal. And this is the same Gary Neville almost every week on Sky said, well, that's the kind of professional foul you're allowed to do in football. We all did it. We all respect it. We all know that it's... No, it's not. It's cheating. It's cheating, even on the football field, on the golf course. Wherever we are, we've got to honour the rules because whatever we do, we do for the Lord. And that means we've got to graft in a way that is sometimes hard, but we give it our best, but we've got to be honest, haven't we? The very least the world needs to have of us as Christians is that we're honest We can be trusted not to leave before we're supposed to leave. We can be trusted with the money that's in the till. We can be trusted in the way that we're going to treat people or talk about people when they're not there. We ought to be honest. This is practical, but yet it's so deeply theological. Because we reflect a God who is fully good. Who is fully truth who is fully love. Are we serving him with our whole heart? 
And if we own businesses and we hire people, let's try and be honest with that too and make sure that we're not just working for our own profits, but we're working for the good of those that we employ. There's not a dichotomy there. I don't want to kind of go down that line because we need bosses. We need employers. If it's all chiefs and no Indians, you know, we're in big trouble. You know, we ought to be glad for those that employ us because we wouldn't have an income and bless God for them. Amen? Amen. I think that's absolutely right. I think it's absolutely true. But we need to be honest. Good business makes the water in the harbour rise so that all the boats rise with it. And I thank God for those that are great businessmen and honour God in the way that they employ others. Because though they are rich, they're prepared to think of the poor. And that reflects the heart of Jesus himself, who became poor in order that we might be made rich and right with God. And what Jesus did for us, if we've experienced that gospel truth, then we become like it. But you know, can I just say this, and we're nearly through that graph there, that we work out with all of our heart. It is hard work. It's honest work. But can I just add this? It it, it ought to be happy work. Don't you think? I mean, if you do anything with all of your heart, you know, it's hard to be miserable in doing it, isn't it? I'm not saying you always got to have a big smile on your face because you're working under pressure. And some of us, you know, we can look so sad when we're concentrated. You know, my wife always says this to me. I said, you, you never laugh at anything I say. She says, I find it funny, but I'm just concentrating on it. You know, sometimes when we're concentrated, we're not showing a smile, but we ought to be happy in what we do, don't you think? If we're doing it with a whole heart. You know, we ought to tell our faces what God has done in us and for us because of his love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand this as we nearly through here. Look at the gain in what we do. Did you pick this up? In verse 24, Paul puts it beautifully, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. As a reward. If we do whatever it is we do, in the spirit of which we're supposed to do it, serving the Lord wholeheartedly, there's reward in that. There's a reward in itself in simply knowing that God is honoured. And that's what children love, isn't it? That's why they bring in things to show their mummy and daddy, isn't it? Have a look at this. Come and see what I'm doing. And when their parents' face light up, that is reward enough for a little child, isn't it? Just to see the joy in its parents' face. For us who serve the Lord, to know that God is honoured in what we're doing is reward enough. And yet the word inheritance is used because it's not simply what is brought about in the here and now. It's also the by and then. Because nothing that we do for the Lord in the spirit in which we're supposed to do it, making good work, is ever going to be lost to us. It is treasure in heaven. Imagine how that would sit with the slaves that Paul is writing this message to. They were property. They weren't heirs. They had no rights. And now, in the attitude in which they did their work, Paul was saying, that is going to be an inheritance to you. Folks, some of you don't get the pay you deserve. Some of you don't get the conditions that you'd like. Some of you are not working with people that make the job that you're doing any easier for you. I'm sorry about that. You know, I wish you were. You know? But the way in which you are in that place determines the level of the blessing that you're going to enjoy when you're out of that place. 
God has got it all there for you. And he sees what you're doing. He sees what you enjoy. He sees what you're going through. If you do it for him, the best is yet to come. Amen? So hang on in there. Because you're there for a reason. You're there for a purpose to reflect the Lord in what you do. Revere the Lord in how you do it. Be renewed in your own spirit in the way that you do it as well. And there's one other thing that I just want to mention as we draw this talk to a conclusion to bring it all the way full circle. Look at the good for what we do. Because Paul underlines it again. It is the Lord Christ we are serving. It is the Lord Christ we are serving. Not Tesco's, not Sainsbury's, not Hampshire County Council, not the school, not the NHS, not the government, not the church. It is Christ we're serving. And we only serve Christ best when we know Christ personally. Here's a little thought to take home with you. You can read the whole story for yourself, but remember, Paul wrote this little letter to the Colossians in prison. And whilst he was in prison there, there was somebody else thrown into jail with him. He didn't know who the man was at the time. He didn't know why he was there in prison, and we're not given that information. But Paul soon discovered that the man that was now in prison with him worked as a slave for somebody that Paul did know, a man called Philemon. You might have heard of him. In fact, Kathy's uncle's called Philemon, isn't he, Kath? Very unusual. Don't often hear that. They may have Philemon. Kathy's dad's family had all biblical names, didn't they? It was David, Philemon, Barnabas, Rebecca, Jonathan, and then the oldest boy, guess what he was called? Cyril. Doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> make any sense but Paul knew Philemon and this slave of Philemon his name was Onesimus he'd ran away from his master did something that got him into trouble was thrown into jail Paul witnessed to him Onesimus was wonderfully one to the Lord wonderfully converted found his life in Christ who'd given his life for him And Paul wrote a little letter for him to take back and give to his master. It's only a page long. You can read it in your Bible. It's called Philemon. And basically, just to cut it short for you, Paul says to Philemon, I'm sending you back somebody who's run away from you, Onesimus. But the man who's coming back to you is not the same man that ran away from you. God has done a work in his life. And this is a different man to the one that you've been missing. And when he comes back to you, if he's done any wrong to you, I want you to treat him as though it was me that had done wrong to you. If he owes you anything, I want you to treat me as though it was me that owes you whatever it is he owes you. There's a gospel message in itself there, you see. Because Paul was willing to take and pay the price of all that would put Onesimus back in right relationship with his master. Whereas we know that in Christ, he has paid the price for all that puts us back in right relationship with God. And so Paul says to Philemon, he's coming back a different man and I commend him to you. And he's going to come back and he's going to work because now he's not simply working for you, he's working for the Lord. And the difference that that's going to make is going to be obvious. 
Maybe there's some of us here this morning, we actually don't know the Lord, that we need to serve in the work that we're doing. Well, you can come to know him this morning. You may be here as an Onesimus, and this is your prison cell. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. But the Lord can speak to your heart. He can turn things around so that what you spend most of your life doing, and you don't spend most of it in church, what you spend most of your life doing, whatever it is you do, can be transformed by the same Christ who transforms you. And others will see it where you work, what you do, the attitude that you've got, the approach that you take, because you now reflect him, revere him, and renewed in your spirit daily because of him. And it's Christ that you're serving. Isn't that good? You are a minister of Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you, John, for getting up the boys and girls and the teachers and commissioning them through prayer. We're going to be doing more of that. One of the things that's always embarrassed me about a church minister is that when we come into our job, they have a commissioning service. I think we ought to have a commissioning service for everybody who starts their job. So if you're going to start a new job anywhere, whatever it is, you let me know about it because I want you up here to pray for you and commission you to the ministry and the work and the calling that God has put upon your life because it's as significant and as important and as vital as anything that he's got here. Amen? It is Christ you are serving. And though it may cost you something now, ultimately, I promise you, It is to your eternal gain and to his eternal glory. So go out this morning and make good work. Let's pray. Father, for all that you allow us to do as a reflection of yourself, thank you. Thank you for the jobs that we do. Thank you for the hobbies that we have. Thank you for the friends that we've got that allow us to do so many things in so many situations that can speak well of you. Thank you, Lord, that in Christ you've given us a whole heart to want to do it with. And thank you that whatever it is we do, we're doing for you so that nothing will ever be lost in terms of its fruitfulness and effectiveness and productivity. And Lord, I pray now for each and every one that's here that you will bless them in whatever they do, to know the full measure of the blessing of it because it's something that they're doing. Not to get a big salary, not to get some kind of certificate or label, but, Lord, simply because in doing it the way that they do it, so well in the way that they do it, you get the glory. And, Lord, therefore, others can see something that will allow them to answer questions about why they do what they do and how well that they do it. Bless them in this, we pray. Send us out, ready to serve, ready to go and make good work, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.